You've reached the Every Little Thing helpline. Please take a left after the tone. Hey, Flora. This is Jessica. My husband and I moved like five months ago, and the street that we live on, the name of it is really long and super annoying, and nobody knows how to spell it. And every time we say it, people always give us kind of like a blank stare. So I'm kind of wondering who gets to name the streets. Hello? Hey, Jessica. Hi. I'm Lynn Levy. I'm filling in for Flora. Hey, Lynn. You are calling from an undisclosed location, the name of which you have strong feelings about. Is that right? (laughs) That's correct. Is it a supercalifragilisticexpialidocious (laughs) boulevard? No, it's Excelsior Grand Avenue. Okay. Excelsior Grand Avenue. Correct. I think that's kind of pretty. It, you know, it does sound, it sounds very regal. I think the problem is that anytime anybody needs to verify our address or if we need to like write it out or something, it really trips everybody up, man. I think that having the X right up front there is is intimidating, huh? (laughs) That's what it must be for sure. It's also very annoying when we write thank you letters. Like, after we had our baby, we got a bunch of presents and had to write thank you letters. And it's so long. (laughs) It just takes up so much dang space. I need to buy a stamp. Yes. Or address stickers. I don't know what I'm doing. It all feels so very trivial, but it is super annoying to me. I'm like, man, couldn't we have just been, like, street one? That would have been so much easier. (laughs) Okay, Jessica, so you are fed up with your street name, and you want to know who names the streets. Yeah. Well, we found someone who can address that question. (laughs) Her name is Deirdre Mask. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Deirdre. Your question is right up Deirdre's alley. She wrote a whole book about street names. How cool is that? I'm the author of The Address Book, What Street Addresses Reveal About Identity, Race, Wealth, and Power. Oh, my gosh. We are going in deep. Yep. Let's do this. So Deirdre has been deep into this subject for years. Her fascination with location started with one of those moments where you look at something you've seen a million times before and are suddenly like, wait, this is amazing. In her case, it was a letter with a stamp on it. It's just sort of an odd thing if you think about it. Just sort of put the sticker a sticker basically onto a letter and you pay for it and then it arrives what like a a week or two later it's a sort of a miracle that is kind of amazing right i've never thought about it like that it's like magic so this moment sent deirdre down a long and winding road of researching (laughs) addresses and street names and i found out that in west virginia not too far from my home state there were rural counties that didn't have street addresses at all what no yes have you ever heard of this no Okay. So, yeah, there are places without street names. And Deirdre wanted to see this for herself. So she decided to take a road trip. She borrowed her dad's car, and she drove to McDowell County, West Virginia. It's an absolutely beautiful place. I mean, quite mountainous, and there are lots of what they call haulers everywhere. It was just the roads to get through. And these are small places, basically almost villages, really. You know, sometimes they had 200, 300 people or fewer. And in those little 200, 300 person towns, I'm just trying to get an an idea of where you were. Like, where do people hang out? 
you know, so a lot of people I would talk to would be in like diners um, or cafes. There's a place called Tudor's Biscuit World, huge fluffy biscuits. I mean, they're just incredible. So I spent I spent more more of my time there, and I'd often talk to the cashiers about their addresses, which I think they were were fairly amused by. I love it. So because everybody knows everybody in this area, they really never needed street names to get around. If you want to see your friend, you know you know where to find him because these are small towns and people know each other. Sure. But when Deirdre got there, she didn't know where to find anybody. <laughs> and um, one day she was driving out to interview someone on one of these unnamed streets. Somebody called Alan Cathead Johnson. Cathead is just a nickname, actually nickname for these huge biscuits they, they have in West <laughs> Virginia. And I was trying to find him. And the directions are given in paragraphs like over the hill, you know, past the dumpster painted like a cow, past the old radio station, past uh, for his house. He had an old blue school bus that he and his wife were, were renovating. You know, so I mean, it was poetry, really. I'm like liking this more and more. Amazing biscuits and the directions aren't like head north on this road, which I never know which way north is. So if you give me like, find the biscuit restaurant, I'll find the biscuit restaurant and turn left. Do you think you could give me directions to your house without using an address? 100%. There's a Target very close. <laughs> okay, let's let's hear it. Give me the directions. The Target will be on your left and you keep going straight until there's a really large pothole okay. <laughs> on the side of the road and then that's where our neighborhood is. It's not quite as poetic as the like old schoolhouse <laughs> and the and the wonderful biscuit restaurant. No, you're right. So Deirdre got lost a lot on this trip. It was very hard to get around without street names and house numbers. But when she talked to the residents of McDowell County, she found out some of them really liked not having an address. Because they realized that the street numbers, they were to find people, which is really the purpose of street addresses in general, historically. You know, it's not to help you get around, it's really to help the state find you. And these people understood that there were that there were lots of reasons why, you know, they didn't necessarily want to be found so easily by the government. Right. If you don't know who people are and where they are, then you can't find them, you can't arrest them, you can't draft them, you can't tax them, you can't do any of those things. Yeah, exactly. And I don't even necessarily think these are people who are necessarily doing something illegal, though. It was just some sense that they had a certain amount of privacy. Yeah. It might be pretty freeing if you're like, nobody can get to me. But so how do they get anything? Mail. Bills. So people could get their mail delivered to the post office, or sometimes there'd be like a cluster of mailboxes at the end of a road, but they didn't have home addresses. And there are a lot of things that a person might want to do that become very difficult if you don't have that home address. You can't get credit. I mean, it's very hard to open bank accounts in many places without a street address or try registering your children for school or voting, really anything, getting a driver's license, all of these things. We connect quite intimately to identity and the way we prove our identity is often showing that proof of address. Right, yeah. And in some cases, living in a place without an address can become a matter of life or death. Because... As you can imagine, without an address, it's incredibly hard for an ambulance to find you. And so I spoke to one ambulance driver, for example, who told me that they would be playing a cat and mouse chase through the hollers. 
What do you mean a cat and mouse change? So like, would they be on the phone? Yeah, exactly. On the phone, uh, the, the dispatcher would be on the phone saying, are we getting hotter? Are we getting colder? You know, judging by the loudness of the sirens, you know, trying to locate where people were. And um, this is no way to, to try to find someone who's, you know, say having a stroke. Ugh, that sounds like a nightmare, especially if you were alone and you were like, I'm just thinking about like if something happened to my kids and like I couldn't leave them to go flag down an ambulance. Yeah, that actually, it, as we're talking about, like freaks me out. <laughs> right? <laughs> I am liking my um, street address more and more. So... This ambulance thing was one of the reasons that, in 2001, the state of West Virginia launched a project to assign a street name, a number, to every single place in the state. What that meant was that they had to come up with thousands of new street names. Oh my gosh, that would be really difficult. I think it's fun after five or ten. It's not fun after you get to hundreds of them. So it wasn't a task that anybody I spoke to relished. Nobody liked this godlike task. Oh no. <laughs> This could go really poorly. (laughs) Well, we will find out how it goes after the break. Okay, Jessica of Excelsior Grand Avenue. I feel like I want everybody to address me like that from now on. When we left off, the state of West Virginia needed thousands of new street names. Mm -hmm. And since one of the reasons for this whole project was to make it easier to find people in an emergency, the job of coming up with all the names fell mostly to the local 911 directors. So these are not people in general who are yeah, who are inclined to be naming or inclined for maps in particular. You know, their job really was was managing emergency services. So they really struggled. Right? I'd be like, I did not sign up for this, you guys. There were a few rules that they had to follow. First of all, there couldn't be any repeats. So, you know, you could only have one Elm Street per area. That makes sense. And they couldn't sound like any other streets that are already there. So you couldn't have like Elm with an extra M. And then they had to be short enough to fit on a street sign. But in terms of inspiration, the namers were kind of on their own. Oh, no. I feel like you would run through like, okay, what are the trees that I know of? Maple, oak, elm. And then you would be like, I'm done. That's it. That's all I know. (laughs) Well, it sounds like they tried everything. Some addressing coordinators I spoke to said they would take phone books from trips to, you know, larger cities like Charleston to borrow their street (laughs) names or... They would choose a theme like flowers or trees. One told me he had his assistant search Scrabble websites for short, simple names that would fit on a street sign. <laughs> so actually, there's a neighborhood that's very close to ours that their theme for all of their street names are like collegiate. So it's like Professor Avenue, oh. um, Freshman Way, Sophomore Lane. And I thought, what an odd choice to to name everything like this. And I kind of get it. Like, you would totally run out of ideas. <laughs> right. And I do like those are objectively lame names. Like, Freshman <laughs> Avenue is pretty lame. But at some point, the names are just going to get lame. Right? I don't, I do not blame them anymore. Yeah, they're off the hook. 
Some of the street namers in West Virginia got desperate, too. They would get to a street, look around, and the first thing they happened to see became the street name. That's how Beer Can Alley happened. Because they came across a big pile of beer cans they left over from a party, and they slapped the name Beer Can for forevermore. <laughs> That's my favorite. Really? I, I, it's so unique. And people would, like, not believe you. Sometimes the namers would just talk to the people who lived on the streets and ask them what they wanted their street to be called. Nice. Alan Johnston, who I spoke to, I asked him what he wanted his street name to be. And he wanted it to be Stacy Holler because um, when he was growing up, a lot of girls called Stacy lived on the street. And so that was what they always called it. <laughs> and Alan got his wish. The namers made it official. Which he was delighted with because it had a connection. It wasn't just a random name that was just sort of slapped on the map. It was something that had a connection to the place. Oh, I love that. Like, it's not just an arbitrary name. It actually has something to do with something. I mean, it's interesting because, like, the namers were deciding something that felt really personal and permanent to the people who lived on the streets. And, you know, these are the street names they were going to put on their, like, resumes and loan applications yeah. and Christmas cards. It feels really important. Yeah, they had a lot of, like, power in the situation. Right? Oh, yes. Naming is all about power. It always has been. So, you know, the Bible, what is what happens in the early, the early pages of the Bible is that, you know, God names Adam and then he gives Adam the power to name even all the animals, you know, to show his dominion over them. Parent gets to name the baby. Uh, that has always been that way. So for the most part, everyone finds it a privilege to, to name something and to be named for something. Yeah, it does feel powerful because it feels permanent, I think. Okay, Jessica, so now you know who gets to name the streets, at least the streets in West Virginia. But that, I guess, doesn't really help with your Excelsior Grand problem and the fact that you kind of hate your street name. <laughs> so maybe it would help to know that you're not alone. There are many less than grand street names out there. Like Butthole Road, for example. No. Are you serious? Yes, Butthole Road. This is in the UK. And you wonder, you know, how does a road get to be Butthole Road, you know? For English people, actually, this isn't, this isn't actually as funny as it is to Americans. It's very funny to me. Because they, they use the word bum. Like, the word butt isn't really a word they use as much. I, I mean, I feel, they have it way worse than I do. Well, so a little while back, the disgruntled residents of Butthole Road got together and they said, that's the end of that. We want a new name. So they changed Butthole Road. Yeah. I think one of the reasons wasn't just the, the laughability factor, but because they'd get busloads of American tourists, you know, taking pictures by it with their, with their trousers down. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yes. Oh, no. Let's get it together, people. Don't pull your pants down in other countries. Do not pull your pants down in other countries. That is the least that we can do. <laughs> the very least. So, Butthole Road is no more. But a cheeky name doesn't always get changed. <laughs> Sometimes people don't want to change them. So, Bell End Road is a great example of one that ended up not changing it. Bell End, B E L L E N D. You got it. Bell End. I feel like I'm missing something mm -hmm. because I, it doesn't seem terrible to me. Bell End Road, Bell End. Well, I suppose I'll tell it and you can edit it out, but the, the Bell End in the UK is the end of a penis. No. Yeah. 
Wait, is this a road in the UK? Yes. How did they... Who let that fly? <laughs> is it still called that? Yes. No. Yes. So unlike the residents of Butthole Road, uh, the people of Bell End Road, um, which essentially is Penis Head Road. Oh, my God. Um, they totally rallied around keeping their street name, mostly because it's historical. King John, the you know, signer of the Magna Carta, he had his hunting lodge there. And, and people said there was a part of the hunting lodge that had a bell on it. And they called it the Bell End. And that became the name of the street. I mean, that's a history that's 800 years old. And it sounds a bit rude today, but a lot of people found um, find a lot of meanings, even in these, in these raunchy sounding names. <laughs> they have a good sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think like, look, even if you live on a street with a truly terrible name, what we've learned here is that, like, it's still home. You can still get attached to it. Yeah. All right, so let's come back to your neighborhood, Jessica. We've been on this journey with Deirdre. Um, but you live on Excelsior Grand Avenue. Which I'm realizing is, like, not a big deal. <laughs> right? Tell me. <laughs> I feel like I made a big deal out of my street address when it actually is very pleasant and not at all offensive to anybody. Great. Okay. Well, if you ever change your mind and you want to try to change your street name, we talk to someone in your local planning office. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, we, we go hard here. Um, <laughs> you guys, thanks. <laughs> you bet. So they told us what you need to do. First, you have to come up with a new name, which, as we know from West Virginia, can be a challenge. It can't be vulgar, so you cannot have Butthole Road. But I could do Bell End, and they would have no idea. That's true. You could be secretly vulgar. <laughs> they would probably never figure that out. Nope. Once you have your name ready, the fee for changing the name is $1,310.88, which is somewhat steep and very specific. Yeah, where did they go? get that number from. <laughs> also, that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. <laughs> it's really a lot of money. I could buy so many biscuits with that. Well, if you want to save your biscuit money and stick with Excelsior Grand, we made you a little something. Oh my gosh. Just something to play for anyone who needs, you know, help with spelling your street name, anyone who gives you a blank stare when you tell them where you live. Are you ready? Oh no, I'm so excited. Excelsior Grand, E-X-C-E-L-S-I-O-R, the best of the land, Excelsior Grand Avenue. You guys, get out of here. I have got to save that on my phone and just play it for all of the people that don't know what I'm saying. Right? It's <laughs> the best thing I've heard. <laughs> Every Little Thing is produced by Caitlin O'Keefe, Stephanie Werner, Phoebe Flanagan, Annette Heist, and Flora Lickman. With help from Nicole Pasulka and Doug Barron. Our guest host is Lynn Levy. Our editors are Jorge Just and Caitlin Kenny. Scored by Dara Hirsch, So Wiley, Emma Munger, and Bobby Lord. 
Excelsior Grand Jingle by Bobby Lord, with singing from Haley Shaw, Emma Munger, and Bobby Lord. Every Little Thing is a Spotify original podcast. Country roads take me home. Goodbye.